I want to share with you uh, a bit from my past. When I was just five years old, I found myself under the kitchen table on the cold linoleum floor. There again. And I had my, my, my hands over my ears to keep from hearing the sound of metal pounding through human flesh. And I was scared. And I, I didn't want to, to get out from under that table. And I had been through this before. It seemed like every April. And so I just wanted to scurry out from underneath the kitchen table with my hands over my ears, not wanting to hear the noise, not wanting to hear the yells of pain going on from up on top of the kitchen table where this small television set was playing. And so I jumped out from underneath the kitchen table with my hands over my ears, wanting to run out away into another room. But something, someone, caused my little heart to to stop in my tracks and I turned around and there was my mom watching Jesus' film on a small television set just a week before Easter. And my mom said, come here, Michael. And so I crawled up on her lap and I watched as this, this, this man on the screen found that he was playing the, the person Jesus was going through pain beyond what I could even describe or understand as, as a five-year-old boy. He had this crown of thorns on his head, blood streaming down his forehead and his cheeks, holes driven into his hands by huge spikes into his feet. Then he was nailed to this crude, rough cross of wood. And hung there to die. And I just watched. Why? Why would this man go through such pain? Why would he suffer like this? Why would Jesus have to die that way? And I couldn't understand it in my little mind, in my little heart. Why Jesus would have to suffer. Why Jesus would have to be bruised and beaten and torn and hung on a tree to die. As the scene went on, it wasn't over because I found out that Jesus, this, this, this man I had seen nailed to a cross of wood and go through immense suffering, blood streaming down his entire body, he didn't stay dead. He rose again. And my mom said, you know why Jesus went through this, Michael? I said, no, I don't know. She said, because of your sin and for mine, that we could be forgiven, that we could have eternal life if we believe that this which he did, this sacrifice on this cross of wood some 2,000 years ago would, would pay the penalty for our sin by his own blood. And you could be forgiven, Michael. I knew I had done a lot of bad things, and the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, I've, I've probably sinned every day. My mom would say, yes, you have, Michael. I thought, how can I be with God who's perfect and holy when I'm sinning every day? I guess I need to be forgiven, too. I guess I need my penalty wiped away. And my mom said, 
would you like to believe, Michael, right now? Would you like to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior? You recognize you're a sinner, Michael, and I say, yeah, I know. I just disobeyed you ten minutes ago, Mom. Probably said that because I was a rotten kid. And that day in early April when I was just five years old, I came to faith in Jesus Christ. I believed that Jesus Christ died for my sin, the guilt that I had carried on because I was born in the race of Adam. And I was facing condemnation, but Jesus Christ died for my sin so that he could be my personal savior. I needed saving. And at five years old, I entered into new life, this new birth. I was born again. And I remember my life changed. Even at five years old, my parents would say, Michael's not the same kid. He's not the same child. Yes, he still sins. Yes, he still runs hog wild around the house. Yes, he causes trouble. Yes, he talks back. But there's something different. He loves God's word. He wants to go to church and worship God. And he understands why Jesus died and rose again. I'm wondering how many of you in this room tonight, if you could stand in response to this, how many of you came to faith in Jesus Christ before the age of eight? Before the age of eight years old, would you stand if you know that you came to faith in Jesus Christ before you turned eight years old? That's easily 20, 30% of you. Now think about this. Stay standing. How many of you, how many of you came to faith in Christ before the age of 13? If you came to the, came to faith in Christ before the age of 13, would you stand? I mean, that's, that's like 90% of us in here. Now, how about I say, how many of you came to faith in Christ before the age of 19? How many more would say, 19 years old? And there's almost all of us. This is a shocking reality that people make a a decision. Little children come to faith in Christ at a very young age. All the time. Just as me, just as many of you, you came to faith in Christ. You may be seated. At a young age... And this coming week, NGO and Cold Wars, we're going to be sharing the gospel to little children from 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 years old, up to 12 years old. And then in the afternoon and evenings, we're going to be going to Thorn Park at the corner of Telegraph and King Roads for Cold Wars, Evangelistic Outreach. That's geared towards anybody up to 18 years old. Just think that just like 95% of you came to faith in Jesus Christ before you, the age of 19 years old. That's our target group for NGO and Cola Wars because we realize that children and young people decide the course of their lives at a very young age, especially in our culture. And we need to reach them with the gospel while they will still listen, while, before they make a destruction, disaster of their lives. Because we love them. We want to reach out with the love and the grace of Christ. But I have a question in my mind. Because as I was five years old, many of you came to faith in Christ as a child or young adult. And probably the majority of you who didn't stand up, which is just a small number, you probably came to faith in Christ just a few years beyond that. Maybe in college or something. 
Why don't we go, though? It seems that for me, I'm afraid to go. I I let timetables keep me back from, from going, from getting out of the comfort zone. I'd rather stay here and, and study the Word and work on my sermon outlines or plan for the next youth event or go home and spend time with Hudson or in Stephanie, which those are all very valuable, important things. But when it seems, when I stare the gospel in the face, I find myself largely not going, not following the command of Christ. We've all experienced the new birth. Say for, for most everybody in this room, you've experienced a new birth. You've been born again in Jesus Christ. You've recognized you're a sinner and you believe. But we don't seem to go. Often. Maybe occasionally. Maybe sometimes. But the, the things that really matter often get pushed aside for things that are temporary. There's a, a dozen reasons why I could not go to share the gospel in my mind. You know, well, you know, I'm kind of afraid. I'm kind of don't know what they're going to think of me, what they might say to me, what they might do to me. And you have gone through this rationalization before, haven't you? Maybe it's at the gas station. You think, oh, I should really just say to this person, you know what, Jesus loves you. Ah, you know, there's somebody behind me in line. What are they going to think? What is he going to think? No, I'll just leave the track in my pocket. Ah, you know. I've gone through that rationalization before. And, and the command that Christ gave to everyone who follows him in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go into all the world making disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It seems to be like, yes, but something else is more important. I value something else more than going. And so what I want to share with you this, this evening and just an exhortation to our teens who are going to go for this week and hopefully for the rest of their lives and for us is Realize that it is time to go. This building is beautiful. And it's nice to stay here. And it's proper to worship here. And to be under the instruction of the word here. But Jesus Christ has commanded all who follow him to go. To go. Outside. To go out into the community. To go from Taylor to all of Wayne County. To Macomb County. And Oakland counties and around this globe to go with the gospel. And that's my, that's my big idea. This, this evening, it's time to go. It's time to go out. It's time for all of us to be missionaries in whatever vocation and wherever we are in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our places of business. It's time to get out and go with the gospel. And so, I want you to turn with me to to Acts chapter 2 tonight. Acts chapter 2, excuse me, Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, we find the, the early followers of Christ 
what their immediate response was to the Great Commission. But look with me in Acts chapter 2, 1 through 11. Prior to Christ's ascension, the state of the early followers, including the disciples, was much like that in which we find ourselves. They were afraid. They were kind of in hiding. They weren't sure what was going to happen. In fact, they, they thought that Christ might establish the, his uh, millennial kingdom, his literal earthly reign, then at that time. They didn't have a full conception of what Christ was about and how he would commission this group of believers and that something called the church would be established in just a short period of time. They didn't really get that. But Christ had said in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, he said, go. Same in the Gospel of Mark. Same in the Gospel of Luke. To go. But were they going? Acts chapter 1, verse 6. And so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. They had this uncertainty in their minds. What's the plan? What's the plan? Jesus, we don't know what's going on. You know, it's sort of like soldiers waiting for the general's instructions. Okay, what's the guide map? What are we going to do? We don't really know. Are you going to establish your kingdom now? Because you said uh, for us to wait here, Jerusalem, what are we supposed to do? And Jesus says in response to this questioning, it's this question posed by the entire group. The context points to that. They were all wondering, what's the deal? What's going to happen now? Christ, you rose from the dead. We believe you're here. But what's going on? So he says, it's, uh, you don't understand exactly what I'm up to. Verse 8 of chapter 1 in the Acts of the Apostles. Or we should say the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the ends of the earth. Something is going to happen that is going to send them out. That they would go outside of where they were comfortable. Outside of what they even knew. Outside of their, their people group. And off around the world. They had no idea how this was going to be accomplished. But Christ said, but you will be my witnesses. They'll be witnessing for Jesus Christ. Witnesses of Christ. Death, burial, and resurrection. And so, they're going to go. But they don't really see it yet. In all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's like us saying, in Taylor and in Wayne County and Macomb County. Because that's just north of here, like Samaria. And then around the world. Whoa, that's, that's a big mission. This is a group of maybe 120 at the most, or it could be just the 12. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, he, as he went, behold, two 
men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. They're standing there. Wow. He's gone. Jesus is, is gone. He just vanished from our sight up into the heavens. And they're just standing there, gazing into the sky. Probably my mouth would be wide open. Would your mouth would be wide open? A miracle of God right before their eyes. They had seen the resurrected Christ, but ascension into heaven. They had never seen or heard anything like it before. Oh, he's gone. And they were just standing there. That's something. And what do the angels say? These men in white robes say, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? It's kind of, kind of funny. There's some irony here. This Jesus was taken up from you into heaven and will come in the same way. He's going to come again. Your Messiah, Jesus Christ, in the way in which he left, he will come again. And so they go to Jerusalem. Now, think about this. Here's a perfect illustration of people like us. It's this man named Peter. I find good, clear identity between him and myself often because he's kind of a run-ahead, renegade, trying to figure things out before the game plan's given. He's the guy who Jesus said, you know, get behind me, Satan, for you have your mind on God's interest, or man's interest, not God's. You know, he's, he's got things kind of off kilter, but he's serious and he's on fire. But in this, in this moment, he, well, Peter's also the guy who thrice denied Jesus Christ and was weeping in tears and had to be comforted by the Lord. Because he was so filled with anguish. I mean, this guy has made clear mistakes and, and run ahead of God. Literally, you know, in his mind. Trying to figure things out. And, and here, Peter, amongst these standing, looking up into the sky, and their Savior is gone. They've heard the words, go. But they're standing there, gazing up into the sky. It could be really easy for us to stand and wonder of our God, to stand here and worship the Lord here in this place. God, you are awesome, the transcendent, magnificent Lord. You are wonderful and powerful, almighty, worthy of worship, as I love to do, as you love to do. And we're called to do. But, but God tells his people to go. To go. And so they return to Jerusalem as the Lord had commanded them, from the mount called Olivet. This is verse 12 of chapter 1 in Acts, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, the whole group's there, except Judas. And so they gathered to pray, together with the women and Mary and the mother, Mary, the mother of Jesus Jesus and his brothers, and there was about 120 people there. And they were remaining in Jerusalem. And what I find, my desire is often to just to, to remain in the fellowship of God's people because it's sweet and it's wonderful. 
But it's for a purpose. It's not the end all to stay here, is it? It's not. And our mission statement as Evangel Baptist Church, it's about going. And so we want to reach out. And as wonderful as it is to stay in this building, our teens and, and all of you tonight, I want to exhort you and urge you that we're not to stay, stay, stay only staring up in the sky in wonder of our God, but to go with our hands, with our mouths, with our feet into a community that needs to hear that Jesus cares for them and that he has this wonderful plan of salvation if they would only believe. And so tonight, I want to tell you it's time to go. It's time to go out. Teens, it's time to go. Tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock in the morning, our teens are going to get here and we're going to go to seven different locations. One is the, the Patrick's home, just a couple miles from here. One is the Pines home, just another couple miles. And then Phoenix Park on Eureka Road and the Hinojosa's house in Allen Park backing up to Lincoln Park, and they're excited about reaching out to two different cities. And then we have the uh, Doug and Rachel Adams, their house in Taylor, and the Veenstra's house. And did I forget anybody? hope not. The Wens family, yes, in Lincoln Park. And we're spreading out, and we're going. We're going to spread the good news that Jesus Christ is God. And so something happens, though. This, this big idea, it's time to go, but what's holding us back from going is that somehow we have this fear of sharing. I remember when I was in the streets of Flint witnessing to people, or trying to witness to people, and I remember the first time we went into this, this area, and uh, it was in front, we'd, we'd gather on the sidewalk in front of this place called The Local, or this, this evening teen hangout on the weekends, and our idea was to share the gospel with, with the, the kids who just hung out in the front because uh, they didn't allow them to smoke inside. It was this um, awful place inside where they have these, these heavy metal, almost satanic groups blasting music for hours on end. And we'd go stand out in front of this place and try to share the gospel with kids who were bored of being inside or wanted to get a smoke or something like that. And so we'd we talked to them. I remember I was scared out of my wits the first time I went down there, and the second time, and the third time. And I thought, I don't know if I can really make the gospel clear to these people, and they're really scary. Um, sometimes we'd, we'd see warlocks and witches down there and drug dealers and all kinds of interesting characters. And I remember sharing, trying to share this message of good news with, with a boy about my age, maybe 20, 22 years old. And as I started to share about Jesus Christ, something happened. Have you ever experienced that before where you're telling the gospel, you're, you're sharing what you memorized and tried to learn, but then the Holy Spirit's power kicks in because we've been empowered by the Spirit of God. That's what our doctrinal statement says. It says, the Holy Spirit, I have this right here. Some of you would be very proud. I have the doctrinal statement that says, We believe in the Holy Spirit, who is the third person of the triune God, the divine agent in nature, revelation, and redemption, that he convicts the world of sin, restrains evil, regenerates those who believe, and indwells, baptizes, seals, empowers, guides, teaches, and sanctifies all who become the children of God through Christ. So if you are in Jesus Christ, if you believed in Christ, you have the 
the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you to be God's witnesses, to share Jesus Christ, to have that power, to have the ability, not in and of ourselves, there is no good thing in me, that's for sure, to be able to share the gospel. We have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And just this, this Peter who's constantly stumbling over himself and making mistakes, he is transformed when the Spirit and power comes into his life. The promise of what Christ has said arrives on the scene. The Spirit. Look with me in chapter 2 of the Gospel of Acts. Chapter 2, verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. And give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose. They're speaking in, in tongues that were recognized by the other uh, groups that were gathered there for the Pentecost. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Peter all of a sudden becomes unafraid. He isn't denying Christ. He stands up in front of thousands of people and shares a sermon. You've got to hear this sermon. Look to verse 22. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And then he says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day, being therefore prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants... Jesus, the descendant of David, on his throne. And he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ some thousand years before. Spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Same word, Acts 1.8 was, but you will be my witnesses. Suddenly, Peter is not just standing, gazing up into the sky, saying, it's wonderful to see the power of my, my Savior. But he's going to be a witness in Jerusalem. And he says this, Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens. This is going to get good. But he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. 
Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter is totally unafraid. He's standing in front of thousands of people saying, you know what? You crucified this man and he's the Messiah. He's the anointed one. Come to save us from our sins and you killed him. You crucified him. This is the man. This is the Messiah who is foretold by David. He is the descendant of David. He is the one. And you crucified him. And what happens? Thousands are pricked to their heart. Cut to the heart. Because they're convicted. They suddenly realize that this one whom they called crucify him is their Messiah, is the one that they'd been waiting for. 3,000 souls are saved that day. And so suddenly, the Holy Spirit power on Peter's life transforms him from a coward, a denier, kind of a problem maker, to a proclaimer. And that is what we have as followers of Christ. If you are in Jesus Christ, you have this power to proclaim, this power to go and share the gospel where it has not been heard. They say that every five minutes, 200 people die without ever hearing the gospel. Without ever hearing anything about Jesus Christ. 200 people die every five minutes. For as long as this service has been going on, how many are we at now? A thousand? But, listen, every... Five minutes, 300 newborn babies enter into the world as well. So we have this opportunity to reach children, to reach teens, to reach the middle age, to reach the elderly, because the power of God is residing in us, and we have the Word of God that we should never grow tired of, because it's the revelation of God that leads us and guides us and draws people unto repentance and salvation. And so I want to tell you, it's time to go. It's time to go. I think about the, when Hudson was born. Our little Hudson, who's now two years and four months old. And when he was born, I saw him. First time. And I held him. And I washed his little rosy cheeks. And everywhere I went, I don't care who it was. Anybody. I ran into was, I just had a son. We just had a baby. You know, and I just tell it everywhere. That's how we should be about our Savior, Jesus Christ. We should be that zealous, that joyful about being proclaimers of our Messiah. Because He has risen again. The gospel is real. We should understand somehow, request of God that He give us an understanding, or not just more than an understanding, a burden in our hearts for the state of souls. That just as I was telling you just an hour or so ago, teens, there would be little children that you might be sharing the gospel with, and they could get in a car accident at the end of the week and be gone from this life. If they have not believed in Jesus Christ, 
they will face the wrath and fury of hell. They face condemnation if they are apart from Jesus Christ. Oh, that my heart would be filled with that kind of burden. This reality of the eternal. That our hearts would be gripped with the reality of what's really eternal and what's temporary. So often I, we push the going aside because maybe we're afraid or maybe we're just concerned what other people might think. I remember going into a mall with some friends to preach the gospel, not to stand up and yell, but to try to share with people one-on-one. And a friend of mine, so you teens will know this story, a friend of mine named Nick, who is continuing to be an avid, zealous proclaimer of the gospel, he went up to the information desk, big sign, Mall and Flint, information here. And so he goes up to the girl and he's like, I need some information. I need to get directions. Can you help me? She's like, yeah, I can help you get directions. I want to know how I can go to heaven. <laughs> the girl behind the desk. It turned out she was a believer. And so she's falling all over herself trying to remember the Bible verses that she had memorized in Sunday school. Going on and on. And he's like, oh great, I'm glad you know Jesus Christ. That's why we're here, by the way. But, you know, Nick is totally unafraid to go. And whenever I get discouraged or when I often am afraid to speak up and to share my faith, I've got to remember people like Nick or like my friend Matt Scott who walked on the streets of Flint. This is how he would share the gospel, okay? Cowboy boots, cowboy hat. Remember, he's a cowboy from Colorado. Bagpipes and a kilt walking downtown Flint, blasting the bagpipes away with amazing grace walking down the streets of Flint. And these homeless people look at him like, that guy's nuts! I mean, (laughs) but it sure would draw a crowd. I mean, he'd run into people like you wouldn't believe. And he'd be constantly telling people about the gospel. Telling people about the gospel. Sometimes we need to get out of our normal conventions. Maybe it doesn't require you to walk around downtown Detroit with a kilt, bagpipes, and cowboy boots. But we could do some crazy things that would not be normal that could bridge the gap to people we may not normally encounter with the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. Men, women, and children, it's time to go. It's time to go. I remember this, uh, this story I heard. Um, it was originally told by H.A. Ironsides. And it talks about this, this group of pioneers who are heading out west to find a place to, to reside, to settle in. And as they were heading out across the prairies, they saw this, this huge pillow of smoke off in the distance. And they knew it was a grass fire, a huge fire. And they became very scared. And it seemed like no one knew what to do but this one guy. And he said, you know what we'll do? We'll burn an area behind us, control it, and then get on the ground that's already burnt. And when the fires came, this huge wall of fire circled this group of pioneers. And the, this, the little children were thinking, are we going to be burned alive? But the fire had already 
burnt out the area that they stood on. And that's sort of related. Christ took our pain, our guilt, the condemnation, the penalty that we deserved. He hung on the cross. We deserve that. That what I saw at five years old, the crown of thorns, nails driven into his hands, we deserve that death. We deserve that. But we can stand secure because he took the punishment. He took our penalty. That's the good news. There's bad news and there's good news. So I want to encourage you, we're going to go. We're going to go into these neighborhoods and we're not going to stop. We're not going to let our own desires, our own timetables, our fears, our uncertainties, but rely on the power of God through the Spirit of God to go and preach the good news that's found in Jesus Christ. It just changed us. And it can change others. So it's time to go. Would you please bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we pray that you would strengthen us for this joyous task of going. To go where no one has ever heard. Even right in our backyards. Children who've never heard. Teens who've never heard. Who've never understood. Lord, we pray that you would encourage our hearts. Give us a zeal. Give us a passion to not stop, to not let up, to not let go, but to continue on this path to go, to follow your commission to go. You have changed us. You have empowered us. Lord, we pray that you would equip us as only you can, to fulfill this commission. It seems daunting, Lord. But we pray that you would work through Evangel Baptist Church, these members here, to go out and bear the glad tidings that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. And he is risen.